0: Last week, just to catch you guys up real quick, we looked at the first 29 verses of Mark chapter 6, and it was it was all about unbelief. It was all about people who had walked with the Lord, who, who many of them knew the Lord very intimately, but had walked away from God, and we're not serving Him, and, and we're living in unbelief. The first people we saw last week in the first six verses was His own home. I don't know if most of you know this, but Jesus Christ had brothers and sisters, and even His own brothers, it says in the book later in the Bible, did not believe in him. So even people that grew up with him didn't follow him, didn't serve him, and didn't believe in him. It also says that his own countrymen, the people of Nazareth, rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. When he came back, they said, wait a minute, aren't you that carpenter? Aren't you the son of Mary? Remember how we talked last week that when they said son of Mary, it was a derogatory term. It was saying, you don't even have a dad. They were basically, and I hate to use the word, but it's the word that fits, they were calling Jesus a bastard. They were saying, you don't have a dad. You're just Son of Mary. You're just some carpenter guy. Who are you? Why should we follow you? Why should we believe in you? They also basically said, you know, you don't have any rabbinical training. You know, you haven't been to a seminary. You know, you haven't been to any college, Bible college or seminaries, you know. You know, it's interesting that they would tell the Word that he didn't know the Word well enough. Amen? And when he got up, though, he taught with such authority and with such power that they were blown away. But yet still, they would not believe. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't really know Him. Then we see Jesus call the twelve together who had been walking with Him, the apostles, and He sent them out to do ministry in different cities. And they went out two by two, and we saw that when they went out, quite often they were rejected by entire cities. Because the Lord had told them, first when He called them out, He told them to go out and not to take anything with them. Just to take the clothes on their back and take a staff in their hand. He wanted them completely reliant upon Him. And we talked about how that when you're called by God, it's a calling first and then once you're called by God, you're divinely commissioned by Him, you're empowered by His Holy Spirit, and then you need to be fully reliant upon Him, because without Him we can do nothing. But they went out and they found that most people rejected their message, and they shook the dust from their feet, and they went into other places. And then lastly, last week, we saw the opposition of the king. Now King Herod, king Herod Antipas, was his name, is the son of King Herod, who when Jesus was born, put to death all the children, two years of age and younger. And it's because of that, putting to death all the children two years of age and younger, he was a man of anger. And his son grew up being very arrogant himself. And because of that, what had happened was he had fallen into adultery. He had taken his own brother's wife, and when he took his brother's wife unto himself, John the Baptist came and confronted him and said, You're an adulterer, and you're married to a woman you're not supposed to be married to. And because of that, sin is going to fall on our land. And we know what happened there is that Herodias, King Herod's adulterous wife, got so angry that she cried out for John the Baptist's head, and later we see that John the Baptist was beheaded. So we see that there's just unbelief running rampant. After God, all that the Lord has done, most people did not accept Him. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Amen? Because today, most people still do not accept Him. There are many people, first of all, that are atheists, who just walk around and don't believe that there's a God at all. And we need to pray for them that God would open their eyes, because whether you believe it or not doesn't make it true. Amen? And it's not a majority vote either because most people, and again, there are many people that go to church every week and they, you know, they, they may even read their Bible, but they know about God, but they don't know Him in an intimate way. Very much like His own brothers and sisters did not know Him as the Lord and Savior who He truly was. So there's unbelief running rampant. Tonight we're going to see unbelief by those who should have been closest to Jesus. And it's his apostles. Now remember, they've been with him when he healed the leper. They were with with him when he calmed the storm, when he said, peace be still, and the the waves went down. They were with him when he he did every miracle that he's done so far. And you would think, the water into wine and everything else, you would think that they would fully understand who he is. But we're going to see tonight that even those who walk closest to the Lord did not know him in the way that they should have. We're going to see unbelief due to circumstances, and then we're going to see unbelief because of trials. And I know none of you ever fall into those traps, right? Unbelief due to circumstances, things going on around you, and all of a sudden, because of it, you start to say, well, God, don't you care? God, have you forgotten about me? I've been guilty of that. I don't know if you have. And other times, too, when trials, heavy-duty things going on in our life, sicknesses and and things going on with our children, our finances, or other things like that, where we can turn our back and, and stop looking at the Lord and start looking at our circumstances. Let's take a look tonight, beginning in verse 30. Lord willing, finish up this chapter. And it says in verse 30, "Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all things. Now they'd gone out and, and ministered in the cities. Now they're coming back and they're relating to the Lord the things that they had heard. They're telling of their travels and the Lord is cur- encouraging them and comforting them. And it says, Both what they had done and what they had taught. And the Lord said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. You know, when, people when the apostles were doing ministry, guess what? They were so pressed in on that they didn't even have time quite often to eat. And you know what? In ministry, we need to have time when we get away and sit at the Master's feet. And that's exactly what the Lord's doing here. It says in the Word, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there needs to be time when even those who are in ministry need to go and get a, alone with God. And we need to sit at His feet. You know, you can't give out something that you yourself have not received. If if I have not spent time in the Master's presence, I'm not going to be able to take other people there. Does that make sense? So it's so important. So he's telling them, come away with me, you guys. I know you're weary. And for us to be effective in ministering to others, we must have our own private time with the Lord. I want to encourage you guys with something. The number one place that you should be growing in your own walk, you've heard me say it before and I'll say it again, is your own one-on-one daily devotions with the Lord. If you're waiting for Pastor Dave or or Pastor Johnny, or Joe, someone else to feed you, you're going to starve to death. Because you know what? You don't eat once a week. Amen? If you ate once a week, you know, how many of you walk around, oh, I'm weary, and I'm weak, and I'm tired, oh, I'm just not doing to, oh, I haven't eaten in a week, that's my problem. We don't do that. We make sure that our flesh is fed, right? I very rarely walk by my fridge when I don't open it up. I mean, I like food, okay? And you know what? The Bible says in the book of Job, we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And you know what, if you're going to grow in your own walk with God, you can't trust in just your pastor to feed you. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. And you need to hear the Word, but you also need to study the Word yourself. Be like the Bereans. Study to see that, that, that these things are so. Because again, if you eat once or twice a week, you're going to die of starvation. And I also believe that the Lord right here gives us an example that we need to have retreats. You know, we had a men's retreat, we had a women's retreats. We need to get away and put, it, turn off the TV. Put away the cares of the world, turn everything off, and just go hang out with God's people and worship and hear His Word taught, amen? And so that's what the Lord's saying to the apostles, you know, you guys have been out, let's go away to a deserted place. So they departed, verse 32, to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. And I would say this, deserted means free of worldly distractions, but any place where Jesus is, is paradise, amen? I'd rather be out in the middle of the desert with Jesus Christ than on an island in Hawaii without Him, amen? Amen? And that's where they went. They went to a deserted place. They were getting away from the crowd. And the reason they got in the boat, the crowd was pressing in on them. So they get into the boat and they start to travel away from the crowd. But I want you to see something that happens here. But the multitude saw them departing. And many knew him. And they're not talking about the apostles. They're talking about Jesus. And they ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. Now when you look in the text, basically they went across this lake that was four miles across. And as they're traveling across this lake, the people saw Jesus from a distance, and they started running around the outside of the lake to get to the other side to where they were going as quickly as they could. And the distance around would have been about eight miles. And these people were so excited to see Jesus that they beat the boat there. And you know what? I think in the church today we ought to be ashamed, because sometimes, and you know what? I'm just going to say it. Sometimes we get to church 20 minutes late, and we live down the street. Amen? Amen. You know what? Oh, worship. I'll just blow off worship. It's no big deal. You know what, man? I mean, we need to be in God's presence, amen? We should hunger and desire this more than our necessary food. It should be the most important thing we do. And so often it's, you know, i got to see the end of the Giants game, or this is going on, or that's going on. We make God an afterthought, and these people understood who Jesus was. And they ran around, and I'll tell you what, if we knew that Jesus Christ were going to be at the clock tower at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, I wouldn't even go home, amen? I'd just go over there and just lay down and wait for him to show I wouldn't go home. Because I want to be where Jesus is, amen? And these people understood who Christ was, and they ran around that lake, and they wanted to be there, and you know what, they're probably, where's the boat going? And as they ran, no doubt, they were gathering up people, and we know that's true, because there is going to be a massive crowd waiting for the Lord and His apostles when they get to the other side of the lake. And there's going to be 5,000 men, that doesn't count women and children, so the group may have been as big as 20,000 people. So not only were they running, but they're saying, hey! Hey! You gotta come! Jesus is gonna be on the other side of the lake. Let's go! And you know what? Man, shouldn't we be the same way today? Amen? Shouldn't we be at work? Shouldn't we not be ashamed of the gospel? There are people that don't know God. There are people that need Him. And they were gathering up people as they ran. And the Lord was going to take His disciples to this isolated location. But when they got there, people had run to see Jesus telling people all the way. Verse 34. And Jesus, when He came out, saw a great multitude. And I love this. I want you to see these five words. And was moved. With compassion. Do you know that our Lord is a God of compassion? You know, a lot of people think of God as being this big God up in the sky with a lightning bolt in his hand waiting to smoke people when they do wrong things. That's not our God, amen? If it were, we'd all have been smoked a long time ago, amen? You know what our God is? Our God is a God of love and grace and compassion, He's a God who cares. He's a God who loves. He's a God who weeps when we weep. He's a God whose heart is so broken for those who don't know Him and those who've walked away. I looked up this word because it's important and it's used 12 times in the Gospels, eight times by Jesus. Once when He saw the needy multitude. He says in Matthew 9 that they were like sheep who had just come from a brutal fleecing, torn, wandering, and lost. Twice when He beheld the hungry multitudes, including this one we're going to look at tonight. By the two blind men. When they cried out and said, Son of David, that's a messianic term, what did Jesus do? He turned around and He healed them. He was moved with compassion. By the leper, we talked about this back in Mark chapter 1, the the leper is a typology of sin. A leper is a man who is rejected by everyone. A leper is a man who's covered in sores and it's so contagious that when he gets near anybody else, he had to shout out, unclean! He couldn't go to church. He couldn't see his family. He was banished off to a leper colony where maybe even other lepers would not come near him. And he heard about Jesus. And he thought, maybe, just maybe, this will be somebody who can touch me. Somebody who I can go to. Everybody else had rejected him. No, He could not go near anyone. And when he saw Jesus Christ, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And what did He do? He touched the leper. He did. Most people would not even address a leper. Most people, when they saw a leper, would run in the other dre- direction and scream unclean. And what did Jesus do? He reached out and touched him. And man, I love our God. Amen? Because that man was healed of his leprosy. And that is a picture of each one of us. That we were lepers. Our sin has separated us from God. And when he saw our sin, he didn't run away from us. He reached out and touched us and made us clean. Amen? He was moved with compassion. By the sorrow of the widow at Nan. It says in Luke 7 that her, son, her husband had already died and now her son was dead and when the Lord saw her weeping, his heart broke for her and his heart was so broken for her, he went over to the casket and he touched the body and her little boy got up. That's our God. Amen? He can do that. and that's what's, And so our God is moved with compassion and you know what? When I walk around down here in downtown Santa Cruz, my prayer is that I would have the same heart of compassion that Jesus Christ had. Amen? That my heart would be broken for these people who don't know Christ. That we would not look at people judgmentally. But we'll look at them and say, Jesus died for each one of them. That every person that walks in here would feel welcome and will feel loved and would know that there's a God who loves them and a God who cares. Not a God of judgment, a God of rules, a God of regulation. Not a God of religion, but a God of relationship. Amen? And that's the God that we serve. Jesus also used the word three times in parables. The king had compassion on the bankrupt servant and forgave him his debt. His debt was millions of dollars. The good Samaritan had compassion on the Jewish victim. And lastly, the father had compassion on the prodigal son. One of my favorite parables in the whole Bible is the parable of the prodigal son. The son who had walked away from God. The son who had walked away from his father, took his inheritance and spent it all on wine and women and salt and goods, got rid of everything. And by the end of it, he was eating out of a trough with pigs. And when he came back, he thought, you know, if I could just go back and be my father's servant. It would be better than the life that I have now. And when he came to his father, his father saw him, and his father ran and kissed him and killed the fatted calf and had a feast. And you know what? You may feel like the prodigal son or daughter. You may feel like you've walked away from God. But if you come back to him, he will run to you, just the way the prodigal son's father ran to him. Amen? That's our God. He is moved with compassion. May we not just go through those words in the Bible and not understand. So when He looked out on this crowd of 20, 000, maybe 20,000 people, He was weary. He was tired. But you know what? He was never too tired to minister to people. He was never too weary to pour out His heart and pour out His life. And what did He do? He looked out on them and He was moved with compassion. And it says here, For them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd, so He began to teach them many things. Now, Put yourselves in the feet of the apostles. The apostles were there and they were weary and hungry. The crowd of 20,000 people continued to press in and now those people were hungry too. And they had nothing to feed them and the hour was getting late and they were in the middle of nowhere and they came to the conclusion that nothing could be done to solve their problem. Look at verse 34 and 30, 35 and 36. It says, When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away. Now that's interesting to me. Aren't these the same men who were called, who were going out city by city, trying to find people that they could tell about Jesus? They could tell them about the love of God? And now there's 20,000 of those people there, and they're saying, Send them away. Something's happened. Amen. I heard somebody say a long time ago, ministry would be great if the people just wouldn't get in the way, right? The people are the ministry. And what had happened here, these guys were so weary and so tired that they'd gotten their eyes off what it really mattered, that they had forgotten it was about the people, that they were the ministry. And the apostles had gone out to seek, and you know what, this reminds me of something. Most of you know that I've had the privilege to go to Russia six different times, And and I would always take groups over to Russia, and we'd go in the high schools in Russia, and we'd be able to share our faith wide open with kids. And you know what? When I was there, I have to be honest with you, and so was every kid that was there, you felt like 24-7 you were breathing for one reason, to tell people about Jesus. If somebody walked by us on the sidewalk without getting a track, without being told about the love of God, we were bummed out. If one person got by, and what's amazing to me is we do that for 20 days straight. And we'd tell every person we saw, and we'd get up in classrooms and boldly proclaim the truth. We'd go into little classrooms, we'd go into auditoriums twice the size of this one, and just tell people about Jesus. Give them an opportunity to know God. Then we'd come home, and every person that walked by us would walk by without hearing about Jesus. The kids would go back to their classroom and tell no one. And what happens is sometimes we get in the missionary mindset. Maybe that's what happened to the apostles. They'd been in the missionary mindset, but now they're hungry. Okay, enough's enough, Lord. All right, okay, tell these people to go away and then come back tomorrow. Send them away. Now, it's interesting to me, did they ask God what he thought? Did they ask Jesus Christ? Hey, Lord, what do you think we should do? No, they told God. Let me just clue you in on something if you don't know this already. Whenever you tell God something, you're always wrong. Amen? You don't tell God. We tell God. And, you know, we try to do that. Oh, God, here's what you need to do. No, no, no. Here's what I need to do. I need to submit to you. God, you already know what to do. Amen? Does God need Dave's help? God doesn't need my help. He'll use me in spite of myself. But God doesn't need me. I need him. Amen? And so they didn't ask Jesus what to do, but they, and they looked at their circumstances through physical eyes. Look, we don't, we don't have enough food. What are we going to do with all this? Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. The first step is not to measure our resources, but to determine God's will and trust Him to meet the need. These circumstances may have seemed desperate as the disciples tried in vain to solve the problem, but they were perfect for Jesus Christ to teach them a lesson in faith. Amen? You know what? It doesn't take a lot of faith to feed 20,000 people if you're standing in front of a safe Amen? Oh, well, just go inside the store and bring out the food, right? I mean, no problem. But if you're in a deserted place, God's going to teach you something. And if we're in a place where it just seems like it's impossible, how in the world are we going to do anything? That's when we get to see God move. And that's exactly where we are, and guess what? We're going to get to see God move. Look at verse 37. But He answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to Him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And you know what? This was not a response out of respect for God. They're saying 200 denarii was basically 8 months' wages. You know, and, they don't have, and how much money do they have? They don't have any because the Lord told them not to carry money around. He said, should we go in and spend eight months worth of bread? Wait- should we go in and buy $50,000 worth of bread that we might feed these people? And they're basically questioning the creator of the universe. You know what? The Bible talks about un- being faithful when we don't understand. The peace that surpasses all understanding, amen? Not the peace that comes from understanding. It's trusting God when it doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't have to make sense to me, it just has to make sense to God because He's God, amen? And sometimes we sit there and go, oh, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's okay. God's in control, let's trust Him. So I want to give you how to deal with unbelief due to your circumstances. The first thing you do is you start out with what you have. They're saying, we need to go, we need more money. We need, we need more stuff. We need more bread. You know, a lot of times we, God wants to use us. We look at our circumstances and say, well, I can't do anything. I'm not educated enough. I don't, I'm not eloquent enough. I, you know, I haven't been a Christian long enough. I don't know the Bible well enough to share my faith at work. I can't do those things. How am I going to do anything? I can't do it. You know what? To deal with your circumstances, just start out with what you have. What did Andrew do? You've got to love Andrew in the Bible. You never see Andrew share his faith with anybody, but you always see Andrew bringing people to Jesus all the time. You've got to love Andrew. Andrew just went out and grabbed people and said, come, you need to come talk to Jesus. And he'd just bring people to him all the time. We had, a, we had a thing in youth group where we had these Andrew cards, and we would tell kids to write down the name of someone they wanted to see come to know Christ and just pray for that person every single day, and then go invite them. And man, well, you'd be amazed. Our youth group just exploded, and kids were getting saved. right. What was happening was kids had a heart for the lost, and they were inviting them to church. Buying him to youth group. Well, Andrew went out and he found a boy with five loaves of bread and two small fish. And he brings him to Jesus and says, Well, here's what we have. Now, I love this, and that you very rarely hear talked about, but what about the faith of the little boy? Can you imagine there's 20,000 people with no food? You got your lunch, right? I got my lunch. You know, it's all good for me. Hey, you guys are going to be hungry, but that's too bad. You didn't think far. I, I thought about it when I ran over here. I made a lunch, right? Now, he could have said, tough for you guys, but he didn't do that. And he got to love the faith of this little guy that he gave his lunch away. And you know what? That's what we need to do. We need to start with what we have, and we need to be willing to give it all to Jesus, like this little boy did. Say, Lord, do you know what you've equipped me to do? Lord, I give it all to you. Lord, here I am. Use me. So God begins using what we have right where we are. And it says, but they said to him, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? This is the Lord. He said, go and see. And they found, they said, five and two fish. This is again Andrew going out to this small boy. Verse 39, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So after we start with what we have and we give it all to the Lord, we need to obey his commands. You know, when we look at our circumstances through our eyes, through physical eyes, it can be overwhelming. But when we trust God and we realize that if God is for us, who can be against us, nothing is overwhelming. give you some examples in the Bible. How about David against Goliath? What do you think the odds would have been in Vegas on that, on that fight, right? 11 foot, 750 pounds, a soldier, armor, head to toe, with an armor bearer in front of him against some kid with a rock. Now what do you think the odds are against that? And if you look at it from a physical point of view, you're thinking, that little kid's going to get smoked. When he came out, you know, the, when he would come out, the, everybody else would do Saul and everybody else would quiver at Goliath. And what did, what did David do? David didn't see the circumstances from a physical point of view. David looked at it from a spiritual point of view. He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a little kid. He saw a mere man against the creator of the universe. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's going to come against my God? And you know the story, he went down and slain him. What about Jonathan when he fought all the Philistines by himself? He said, whether by many or by few, God can do a mighty work. And he went up and he fought the whole army by himself. And what happened was he went up and slayed 40 of them. By the time he had slain them, God created a huge earthquake. And in the midst of the earthquake, the Philistines were confused. They started killing one another. God can do anything. Our God is greater than our circumstances. And you can look at your circumstances and think, man, it just seems overwhelming. Is God greater than your circumstances? The answer is yes. Amen? Is God greater than the boss that never wants to talk to you about God? Can God turn that around? Can God turn around your finances? Can God bring you the husband or wife that he wants you to have if you'll be still and know that he's God? Can God, can God cure your cancer? The answer is yes. Amen? And we need to learn to stop looking at the world through our physical lives and through the circumstances that surround us and start trusting in God. And I love this. They were obedient because they made them sit down. So they sat down in ranks, hundreds and fifties. So they set them down in these semicircles of 150 people, hundreds to fifty people everywhere they looked. And they went around, and the Lord brought this little boy's lunch. What seemingly was so small in the world's eyes, and I love this, that the Lord can take something that is insignificant in the eyes of the world and He can use it in a great way. And you know what? You may feel like you're insignificant in the eyes of the world, but God can use you in a great way. Look what it says. And when He had taken the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and blessed it and broke the loaves and gave them to His disciples and set before them the two fish He divided to them all. So they all ate and were filled." Now notice, again, they were obedient, but where did the miracle happen? The miracle happened in the hands of Jesus Christ. Amen? The miracle didn't happen at the efforts of men. The miracle didn't happen because they had a great plan. The miracle happened because they put everything they had into the hands of the Lord and said, Lord, I trust you. And you know what? I pray that every day. I pray for my children. Lord, I put them in your hands. I desire that You would take them and mold them and conform them to Your image, that they would grow to be mighty young men and women of God. I pray, Lord, just put my office in His hands. Put the Bible study in His hands. Put this church in His hands. Because you know what? If we're following any man, it'll come to nothing. But you know what? If we get in line with God, get out of the way and watch and see what God's going to do. Amen? Our God is greater than Santa Cruz County. Amen? Our God is greater... Than anything that can face us, our God is an awesome, a gracious, a compassionate, a merciful, loving God who's looking for those who will stand up to be used by Him. He blessed it. It was His thanksgiving. It was a way of Him thanking the Father for the provision. Jesus began to break the loaves and kept breaking until everybody had been fed and there were 12 baskets of food left over. And I want you to notice something, that the apostles as servants were distributors, not manufacturers. Amen? We don't manufacture anything. God does all of it. What can man create? The answer is nothing. Do you know that man has created nothing? God created everything. Amen? And he can take the, they could, we can take some of the elements that God's created and form them into something else. But God is the only creator. There is no other creator. Buddha created nothing. Hare Krishna, nothing. Hindu, nothing. Joseph Smith, the Mormon church, nothing. Mary Baker, Ray, nothing. Jesus Christ created everything. Amen. He is the creator and it's nothing for him to take bread and make it multiply because he's God and he's the only one that can do that and nobody else can so praise the Lord that's what we serve a risen living Savior a God who can do all things and they gave it all to Jesus when they got it back it's amazing they gave him a lunch they fed 20,000 or so people and they got back 12 baskets of food that's pretty sweet. You give them a lunch and you give back twelve baskets of food after feeding twenty thousand people. And you know what? He didn't give it back to them so that they would feel, you know, they could be comfortable, but so they could bless others. You know, a lot of people into you know, this name it and claim it thing, and you give it to God, so God will give you back more, and if your motives are to get back more, you've missed it. If your motives are to bless and minister to others, then you truly understand. Let's finish this off. Verse 42. So they ate and were all filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men and it's interesting to me that this was really a message in action because when Jesus went into Capernaum the next day if you look in Matthew 6 or John 6 excuse me he got up and he taught about the bread of life that he was the bread of life so everybody who had, who had been out there and seen him multiply the bread would understand a little better the message that he was sharing about the bread of life and again The miracle happened in Jesus' hands. The sad part is the people were willing to receive the physical bread, but not the living bread, the Son of God come down from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life, and only He can satisfy the spiritual hunger in man's heart. And Isaiah 55 says, The tragedy is that men waste their time and money on that which is not bread. People are making the same mistake today. What do people spend their time on? People spend their time on striving to attain and collect stuff or striving to, acclaim, to attain and collect their own comfort. And we do all this stuff that's perishing, and we get our eyes off what's eternal. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And Jesus was, was blessed with me as he still had compassion on the hungry people. He still looked at him, and his heart was broken for him. And you know what? As the church today, God's telling us the same thing. You give these people something to eat. He turned and told them, give them something to eat. Didn't he? he told the apostles to do that, didn't he? You give them something to eat. Well, let's send them all away and you know, maybe they'll find something. And you know what? Especially with us being here downtown, God is calling us to give people something to eat, to minister to their physical needs so that we might have the opportunity to minister to their spiritual ones. Don't make excuses. Don't plead a lack of resources. When we say we don't have resources, we're saying our God can't do it. That's weak. Amen? Can our God feed everybody in Santa Cruz County? The answer is absolutely. And we say, oh, we'd, oh, we'd like to help out. But we just can't help you. You know, we just need to give it all away. Let's just give it all away and God will take care of it because it's all His anyway. A hungry world is feeding on empty, empty substitutes. And you know what we have? We're depriving them of the bread of life. Because you know what? I believe that, and I don't want to be political for a second, but there should be no welfare system. Everybody in the body of Christ should be giving and giving and giving so much that if somebody had need, they could just send them down to the local church and we could give to them instead. And then when we gave to them, we could give them the bread of life along with the bread that they ate. Amen? Instead of them going to the government and seeking help from the government, they should seek help from us. And we should give it all away. That's what the church is called to do. And that's what Jesus, exactly what Jesus did. And people are looking for the answer and we have the answer. Amen? This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Right? Hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. Right? I'm going to let it shine. We need to shine this light. Not hide it. Not be ashamed of it. I promise you we won't get to heaven and say, oh man, I should have dialed it down. Amen? Oh, I shouldn't have spoke so much about the love of God. You know what? Other Christians even get nervous hanging around you when you're on fire for God, but that's okay, maybe they need to. Amen? Because you know what? There needs to be fire. We need to be excited. Hey, I'm going to heaven not because of what I've done but because of what He did. How can we not be excited about that? Amen? And we go to church. Oh, you know, we got to go to church and we sit and we sing a couple songs we go home and our life doesn't change. That grips God's heart. And it ought, it ought to grip ours. We, we, want to, we should be giving it away. We will never lose. We'll always end up with more than what we began with if we'll give them away. Let's move on. So now we've seen the unbelief of of circumstances, start with what you have, give what you have to Jesus, obey what He commands. Now we're going to see Jesus walking on water. I love this. You know what? Nobody else ever walked on water either, except Peter for a few seconds, then he gets his eyes off God. But you know what? Only Jesus walked on water. I remember one time I had a guy tell me that he was Jesus, right? I was down in the mall, and the guy said, oh, you worship Jesus? I'm Jesus. And there was a puddle nearby, and I said, bro, I'll tell you what, go walk on that water, and I'll believe you. It didn't work. He walked on, he's up to his ankles in water. There's no bueno. It didn't happen. Why? Because he's not God. Amen? But watch what Jesus does and we're going to see unbelief in the midst of a trial now. We've seen unbelief because of circumstances. You know, we don't have the food. But now a heavy trial is going to come and we're going to see unbelief again by the apostles because of what's surrounding them. Now look what it says here in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. Having fed the multitude both physically and spiritually, Jesus made, and basically that means, strongly urged his disciples to get into the boat and sent the multitudes away. Now why would he do that? Let me tell you why. Because if you look in John chapter six, they wanted to make Jesus king. Did Jesus want to be king? He wants to be Lord. Amen. Don't care about being king. Why? Because this world's passing away anyway. He he wants to be Lord. And so what happened was, he said, you know what, these people are crying out to make me king, and the apostles might have joined in and thought, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Let's make him king. And the Lord, it's interesting to me that the Lord pulled his own apostles away from those who would be a bad influence upon him. You see that? It says he urged them. He made them get in the boat. Get in the boat. We're out of here. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. They got in the boat, and they fled from those that would be a bad influence. And the Bible says that we are to flee youthful lust. And we're to flee from those things that will cause us to stumble in our own walk with God. So Jesus knew that the motives of these people who were crying out to make Him king were fleshly. And, he, and they wanted to make Him king so that they could have you know, the physical things that He could bring them. But they didn't understand who He was spiritually. So He brought the, the apostles away from Him. Verse 46. And when He sent them down away, He departed to the mountain to pray. So He got them in the boat and He went up on the mountain. So the Lord puts them in the boat. Now let me ask you a question. What is Jesus doing right now? How many of you know what he's doing? He's interceding or praying for us. Have you ever thought about that, that the Lord's praying for you? That's pretty awesome. Amen? You know, people would think, well, maybe if Billy Graham prayed for me, that would give me some extra brownie points with God, right? You know I mean? People come to me all the time, and, I, and I, believe me, it's my privilege to pray for you guys. I want to pray for you guys. But my prayers are no better than yours. You know that, right? Okay? I mean, I'm just a man like you. But what's awesome to me is that Jesus Christ is praying for me. And what happens here is that he sends these guys away and he goes up on the mountain to pray for them because a trial is coming. And the Lord does the Lord know that this boat they got into is about to go into a wicked storm? Yeah, he knows because he's God. He knows everything, amen? And so they get into the boat. They're going out to the storm. What does the Lord do? He goes up and starts to pray for them. Starts to pray that they would have courage in the midst of their trial. Does the Lord know when trials are coming into your life? The answer is yes. What is he doing for you beforehand? He's praying for you that you would have strength and be encouraged to stand with him in the midst of your trial. Doesn't that encourage you to know that God's praying for you? Man, that blows me away. For, for me? You mean when I'm struggling, he's, he's praying. That's awesome. And so you mean when I turn away from those things, it's an answer to his prayer? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome to me. So the Lord goes up on the mountain, he's praying for them, and they go out, they're moving out into the middle of the sea. Verse 47, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. So he's up on the mountain praying for them, and they're out in the sea. Now I want to encourage you with a couple more things. That in the midst of, of a trial, I want you to see a few things that can encourage you. The first thing is that when you're in the midst of a trial, and there are two kinds of trials, by the way. One trial is because of disobedience. Now Jonah, what kind of trial was he in? Trial disobedience. What kind of trial are these guys in right here? Did the Lord tell them to get into the boat? Yes, He did. Did they obey Him? Yes, they did. They got out in the middle of the lake, and guess what happened? The storm came anyway. A lot of people will tell you, as a Christian, if you obey God, you're never going to have any problems. That's a lie. Amen? You know why? Because God allows trials to come, because trials perfect us and conform us more to His image. It's when we go through difficulties that we get our eyes on God. And you know what? Praise the Lord, then bring it on. It's okay. And so what happens here, and I want to see this, the first thing that you need to remember when you're in the middle of a trial is God brought me here. God brought me here. If I'm in a trial, God knows. God put me here. God allowed me to be here. Praise the Lord. He knows I'm here. Now we have two women in our church. Neither one of them are here tonight. We prayed for them last week. They were diagnosed with cancer last week. Both of them were diagnosed with cancer on Monday of last week. Laid hands and prayed for both of them last week. God knew they were going to have cancer, and God Brought them there. Not because of any sinful act that they had done, not that we aren't all sinners, but God knew they were going to have cancer. Amen? Okay? God knows. And God's praying for them, and God cares. And He's a God of compassion. But He knew. And so, in the midst of your trial, whatever it might be, remember, God brought me here. The storm came because they were in the will of God, not like Jonah. And Jesus knew the storm was coming. He deliberately directed them in the storm. But you've got to understand something. You're safer in the storm in the center of God's will than out of the storm, out of His will. Amen? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? They obeyed God, right? Didn't they obey God? They went in and said, Everybody, when the, when the music plays, you bow down to the golden statue I have made of myself and if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the fire, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy was cutting people into pieces all the time, this guy was bad news, and everybody knew he was not one of veiled threats. So the music plays, everybody drops, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we ain't doing it. So they bring him in, they say, Did we hear the news, it. and it says he got exceedingly angry. You know, the danger popping in his head, if you don't, I'm throwing you in the fire, right? And they're well, we don't have to answer to you, and if you want to throw us in, it's okay, and it's all good because God's in control, we're not we don't have to answer to you. I like that. We don't have to answer to you. Well, like, can you imagine? Ah, right. And he says, heat it seven times. Ho-. How fire, hot does fire have to be to burn you? Heat it seven times hotter, and you're like, okay. So they fire it up, they get it seven times hotter, shatter it, and mishad, and go, ain't. Now, they could have just bowed. Who would have known? There were only three standing up. God would have known. Amen? God brought me here. God put me in this trial for a reason. So they take him and they push him in the fire. The fire is so hot that the guys that push him in the fire get scorched. And they die. And what's interesting to me is King Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire and says, well, Wait a minute. Didn't we put three bound into the fire? And now aren't there four moving around freely in the fire? And the fourth one is in the likeness of the Son of God. So who was in the fire with him? Jesus is in the fire with him. And what's interesting to me is Nebuchadnezzar had to say, Come out, come out, ye servants of the Most High God. They were hanging on the fire. Why? Because it's better to be in the fire with the Lord than out of the fire without Him. Amen? I mean, they were just, hey, this is good. The Lord's here. Where else would I want to be? I'm in the fire. It's okay. They didn't come out, woo-woo, you know, it's hot. They just stayed in there. And I love that. And you know what? It's better to be in the storm on this ship in the will of God than out of the storm without Him. Why? Because He's in control. And you know what happens when you go through those storms or you go through those fires? Who gets glorified? What did Nebuchadnezzar say? Come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. He started out with, Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? To come out, come out, you servants of the Most... His attitude changed. And what changed it? The faithfulness of three men. Praise the Lord for those guys, right? Do you think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a little more faith after they came out of the fire? What do you think? Oh, man, that's my God right there. All right. Okay, I don't think... You know what I mean? Can you imagine? And so when you go through trials and you come out the other side, you say, know, you, you don't understand. My God's greater than that. My God can do anything. I can trust my God. That's awesome to me. So these guys are in the lake, and they're in the middle of it, and guess what happens? We see in, in Matthew, it's more descriptive, that the waves start tossing the boat. Now remember again, that most of the guys in the boat are fishermen. So if the waves have got to be pretty radical for fishermen to get worried, right? I've been on deep sea fishing trips, I don't like, that's no bueno, I don't like that, right? I went on one and smoked, Oh, it was no good. I lost 14 pounds in two days from throwing up. You know, I, I, I had some abs when I got back, it was, but I'll tell you what, it's no good. And these guys, the waves were pitching, and, the, and, when, and when fishermen are getting worried, that's a big wave, right? Well, they're out there, and the Lord is up on the mountain, and He's praying for them. And they start to panic. There starts to be unbelief. Now remember, that they, had they been in one of these kind of storms once before? Do you remember? A few weeks ago. And the Bible, you know, it's interesting to me that the Bible says, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He told us that. So we're in the middle of a trial, and it's overwhelming. Remember that God is still in control. Well, these guys were in the storm, and they could have looked back and remembered the time when the Lord, remember He was sleeping. And what did they do? They went over and they woke Him up. Lord, we're all going to die, wake up! Right? And the Lord's, oh, what is it? Oh, you have little faith. Peace be still. <laughs> Waves go down. Whoa. Now, why were they upset? Because they were looking at the waves and not looking at the Lord. Amen. If they have been looking at the Lord, they would have just pulled up and taken a nap. Well, He's God. He said we're going to the other side. I think we just, let's just chill. Forget about it. He knows, right? Amen. And what happens to us? The same thing, we look at our circumstances instead of looking at God, and that's exactly what happens to the apostles here. They're looking at the circumstances, forgetting what God had done, and what God can do. So the number two thing is, not only did God put me here, but He sees me, and He's praying for me. Because it says there in that verse, in verse 48, look what it says there, then He saw them straining. He looked out and He saw them struggling. So when you're going through a difficult time, the Lord sees you struggling. He sees the difficulty that you're going through. So not only did God put me here, but God sees me and God's praying for me. That should be an encouragement to me in the midst of a trial. He knows our needs and our fears. He feels our burdens. He knows what we're going through. And just as Jesus saw His disciples, He sees you when you're going through a difficult time. And knowing the Lord is praying for you, that should be such an encouragement to us. He's interceding for you right now. Look what it says in the rest of verse 48. Straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Now interesting, the fourth watch is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So that means these guys have been rowing all night and gotten nowhere. Have you, how have you ever felt that way about some circumstance in your life? Man, I've been, oh, I've been beating my head against the wall for months and there's no progress. We're trying and striving in our own ability to make something happen and nothing seems to be happening. Maybe it's time to stop you trying and give it over to the Lord. Amen? Stop trying and just trust God. And what happens here is there's trying and they've they rode all night, no distance, wind and waver against them. The third thing that will happen in a trial is not only did God put you there and place you there for a reason, not only does He see you and He prays for you, but God, Jesus Christ Himself, will come to you in the midst of your deepest hour of despair. You know, there's times I'm going through difficult times in my life and, and I have someone very close to me that's going through a very difficult time. And he was driving down the freeway and he was just crying out to God and he said all of a sudden he felt the presence of God in his truck and he just started weeping with joy in the midst of a time that was extremely difficult. When you go through trials, God, remember God put you there. God's going to grow you there, but also remember that God will come to you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. Amen? And guess what? Guess who shows up in the midst of the storm? Look at the rest of the verse. And He came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Now, can you imagine that? They're so busy rowing. The Lord's walking by. And they don't even see the Lord. They don't even see Him. He's walking by and they miss Jesus Christ walking by. How do you miss someone walking on the ocean? What happens is you're so busy rowing and you're so busy doing your stuff that you don't see God. And you know what? I've been guilty of that. Amen? I've been so busy trying to do it myself that there's God right here. Hey, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hey, right? I'm right here. I got a plan. Why don't you stop? Just stop. Hey, Dave. Right? And I'm over there. Oh, I gotta. I'm doing this for God. I gotta. You know, right? We need to stop. We need to make sure we got our eyes on Him. We need to make sure that He's going before the boat. And so what happens here? Jesus will come to you. And after they fought and persevered for a long time. Remember, they've been doing this a long time? Jesus came to them. But understand, there are times when you're going to have to persevere in the midst of a trial for a while. They've been rowing all night. Were they supposed to be rowing? The answer is yes. But they should have been looking for the Lord while they were rowing. Lord, help! Right? They're not doing that. They're just rowing. We're fishermen. We know how to do boats, right? So they just keep going, and they're getting nowhere. But understand, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to go through a trial, and it's going to be for a long time. But I promise you, in His perfect timing, He will show up. And often we feel like Jesus has deserted us As we go through hard times of life, but He always comes through, always in His time. It says in Isaiah 43, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When Daniel was in the lion's den, who was with him? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was with him? When Elijah was at the brook Kidron, he sent birds to feed him. When Moses was at the Red Sea, backed up the army was coming, he split the Red Sea open. That's our God. Amen? No matter what difficulty, no matter what circumstances, no matter what trial. Now let me ask you this, we're almost done. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Why did he walk on the water? Let me tell you why he walked on the water. I believe he wanted to show the apostles that the very thing that they feared was a staircase for Jesus to come to them. The very thing that they were so afraid of was God's method of reaching out to them. The very thing that you're struggling with, the very thing that's so difficult for you, may be God's way of reaching out and touching you. Does that make sense? He's walking on the thing they're afraid of. That's awesome to me. The very thing that just scares them half to death, and here comes the Lord walking out to them. So, cancer, a sick child, your finances, you lost your job, a relationship, a death in your family. All are avenues God can use to draw us near to Him. Amen? Things that are so difficult, things that we fear, things that we struggle with, opportunities for God to reach out to us. Almost done. Verse 49. I'm going to just go through 52. And it says here, "...when he saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost." Boy, they really are not paying attention much to who Jesus is, I mean, they've seen all the miracles. They see them, they go, ah! And they get afraid, the Bible says. They, they were afraid of Jesus. And it's interesting to me that they, they cry out in fear. Why didn't they recognize Jesus? Let me tell you why they didn't recognize Him. They weren't looking for Him. If they were looking for Jesus when He came, oh, there He is. Praise the Lord. But you know what? Sometimes we get so involved in trying to make our problem go away and we're doing it in our own flesh and the Lord shows up and we don't even see Him. Get out of the way. I'm trying to make this happen here, Right? When the Lord shows up, if we're not looking for Him, we're not going to recognize Him. When the Lord shows up, we should, if we're praying and seeking after God, when He shows up, there He is. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's always right on time. But we've got to be looking for Him, or we're not going to see Him. We can blame our circumstances on bad luck. We can say, Lord, what are you trying to teach? Instead of saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Again, if they'd been waiting and looking, they would have recognized Him immediately. Remember, fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. These emotions can blind us to the presence of God. When we're afraid, we're saying God's not in control. When we're worried, we're saying God doesn't care. When we're anxious, we're saying God God forgot about me. But I want you to know that God is always God. He always cares. He's always right on time. And often the things we fear most in life are the experiences that will bring us closer to Christ. Three more verses. Verse fifty. For all the, they all saw him and were troubled. They were afraid. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, "Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid." And you know what I love about this? That word "it is I" is "I am." Don't you love that? He said, I am. What, are they, what happened in the burning bush? What's your name, God? Hey, I'm, I'm going to go tell the people, but what's your name? I am that I am. Don't you love how Jesus is the great I am? Amen? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Good Shepherd. And he says, it's I am. I'm here. It's the only one you need to look for. It's the only, and they're troubled and frightened, but they heard his voice and the, and the fear went away. As soon as they recognized Jesus, the fear went away. Then he went into the boat. And I want to say this real quick. Before he got in the boat, we don't see it in this gospel, something happened. Peter went out and walked on the water. And people like to make fun of Peter for sinking. But I would say this, we need to encourage Peter for getting out of the boat. Amen? You know what? Everybody else didn't get out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. You know, Peter saw the Lord walk on the water. Oh, it's you, Lord. Lord, call me and I'll come out to you. And he went out there and started walking on water. You know what? With God, all things are possible. Amen? And he starts walking on water, but what made him sink? Got his eyes off the Lord, and whoop, down he went. Then he prayed a great prayer. Help! That's a good prayer. He prayed, help! Lord, help! And the Lord reached down and pulled him out of the water. But the point is, let me ask you a question. Who do you think learned the most through this trial? No question, it was Peter. Because Peter walked on water, and Peter said, Man, if I just get my eyes on God, I can do anything for Him. Man, he could, he could do anything with a guy like me if I just keep my eyes on him. But when I get my eyes on the storm, I'll sink. What a great lesson for Peter. But when did it come? In the midst of an awesome trial. But they all learned the greatness of our God. The other other Gospels record him stepping out of the boat. He will help me grow through trials. That's the fourth thing. He will help me grow. The entire purpose of the storm was to help the disciples grow in their faith. After all, Jesus would one day leave them, and they would have to face many more storms without him being there. And Peter's faith grew greatly because he stepped out of the boat. And let me just say this. Anybody can sit in the boat. Anybody can be a Christian and come to church and be a pew potato. Right? Be a fat sheep. Just grow every week, right? Right, just keep eating. Why is the Dead Sea dead? All inlets, no outlets. Amen. Why are Christians dead? All inlet, no outlet. You know what? We need to take what God ministers to our heart and pour it out on other people. Out of us should flow torrents of rushing living water. Amen. If the Lord's pouring rushing living water upon us. It'd be it ought to be spilling out on other people. You know, the number one play, way that a church grows is healthy sheep begetting healthy sheep. Amen. Our youth group in San Jose went from 10 kids to 250 kids in a year. How did that happen? Kids got in love with Jesus Christ. We didn't have programs. We didn't advertise on TV. We didn't hand out 500,000 flyers. Kids got in love with God and it became contagious. And that's how it happens. And how are we going to reach Santa Cruz County? He used 12 people to reach the known world, turn the known world upside down. There's three times that many people, even with half our people gone tonight. If we would just be contagious and on fire for God, what could happen to Santa Cruz County? Maybe the name would mean Holy Cross once again, which is what Santa Cruz means. Maybe this would be a place where people go. people up there love Jesus. Amen? But that's going to happen if we become contagious. We've got to step out of the boat for that to happen, though. Amen? We've got to get out of our comfort zone. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I talked to him. He might, oh, he might ask me where Cain got his wife. I don't know the answer, right? I mean, he might ask me something. I don't know. And we get afraid and we're, ah, right? And we start to pucker and we don't know. You know what? Just ask God for opportunities and be faithful and get out of the way and watch what God's going to do. Pray for the divine appointments. So get out of the comfort zone. Last verse. It says here, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in, them, in themselves beyond measure and marveled. You know, what's interesting to me, when did the storm stop? When they put Jesus in the boat. Amen? When does the trial stop in your life? When you let Jesus in. One of the difficulties is going to go away. Put Jesus in there. Amen? And you know what? The world's looking for the answers. It's time to let Jesus in. Let let me just say uh, in review real quick what we covered tonight. Our God reached out and touched men as he was moved with compassion. In dealing with unbelief due to circumstances, we need to start with what we have, give it all to Jesus, and obey his commands. And in the midst of trials, remember, God brought me here. Jesus sees me and is praying for me. The Lord's going to come to me in the midst of this, and I'm going to grow when this is over. And you know what? If you want to be closer to God, get ready for trials. Amen? The Bible says in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brethren, when, not if, when we fall into various trials, for trials produce patience. When we go through trials, we're conformed more to His image. You want to be more like Christ? Get ready, because it's coming. But that's okay, because the Lord will be with you. And I'd rather be in the fire with Him than out of the fire without Him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we pray, Lord, just that tonight, that we truly would be conduits for your Holy Spirit to speak through us. And Lord, that when we go through trials, that we would remember that you put us there. And Father, Lord, I just ask that even today when we walk out of this place, that there would be a zeal. And Lord, that we would not be afraid to step out of the boat, knowing, Lord, that you've gone before us. And Lord, I just pray for each person that, Lord, you minister to our hearts. I pray for the many who are away this week for on vacation. Just minister to their hearts as well. Bring them back safely. And I want to lift up Samantha and, and uh, Susie to you, Lord, and, and just their cancer. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician. And we ask, Lord, that you would touch their bodies and bring a healing touch that through it you might be glorified. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I know the hour's kind of late. Why don't you guys come on back up?